I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. It comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Today's episode is brought to you by Canadian Journalists for Free Expression. If you never liked Bill C-51, you should know that CGFE is not only fighting it in court through a constitutional challenge... They've launched a campaign telling Justin Trudeau to end this bill. Go to cjfe.org, add your voice to that campaign, become a member to support the work that they do, cjfe.org. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace, the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24-7 support. Try Squarespace at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code CanadaLand at checkout to get 10% off. Jen Gerson, editor at the National Post. Hi. They finally drew you. You've got one of those National Posts. you got head furniture now. I got a woodcut. It was really exciting for me to get a woodcut. Um, I've always wished that I, I could get one of those. They're fantastic. Welcome back to Shortcuts. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Jeff St. Pierre, Jackie, Will Burton, Nick Papalia, Paul Creighton, James McTubbs, Dave, Barbara Gould, and Steph Carrier. Steph, why did you decide to be awesome? Because you're the best news program going on right now. This episode is also brought to you, as previously mentioned, by Squarespace. Welcome back. Squarespace is a sponsor of the show. Simple, powerful, beautiful websites made with Squarespace.com. It's really all you need, no matter what you're doing, be it a portfolio site or if you need an online store. The support, this is a very important part because you can get a beautiful website, but if there isn't somebody there to help you when it goes down in flames, then what good is it? They have 24-7 support via live chat and email. It's eight bucks a month. 
It starts at eight bucks a month. You get a free domain with that. You get a free e-commerce site. It works on your mobile devices. Start a trial right now. You don't have to give them a credit card. You can just pick one of these beautiful looking templates and start making your site. And then you decide if you want to actually use it or not. And when you do decide to do that, which I think you might, use the show's offer code CanadaLand. You'll get 10% off of your first purchase. Thank you, Squarespace. Squarespace, build it beautiful. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Jen. Yeah? I don't know that we can talk about anything else today before I at least talk about the news from Post Media. And I think that it sucks, man. I'm sorry to hear this. I mean, it's not surprising. We hear this news from them every time they have a report of what's happening. And we all know what's happening in the industry, but what seems to be visited upon this newspaper chain pretty harshly. So I'm sorry to hear that. It must be a tough time for you and your colleagues. Yeah, I I, I think it is. I mean, being a post-media employee, I'm obviously not going to get, you know, into the weeds a little bit on this one too much personally. But yeah, I mean, I think that that's safe to say. It's it's hard to see a company go down like this. And I think that, you know, especially among Post employees, we, we share quite a lot of affection for our, our employer. The Post has been really good to me. And as a result, you know, when you see every quarter come out, these sorts of really problematic and dismal results, it, it's hard and it scares people and it makes people afraid for their jobs. And also, you know, for a lot of us, leaving post-media means leaving journalism. Andrew Potter, editor-in-chief of the Ottawa Citizen, this week uh, announced also leaving not just his job, top job at the Citizen, but leaving the profession, going into academia at McGill. That follows the departure of two people who I think made up the Citizen's editorial board, 
month or two earlier. That's got to be disheartening. But I mean, these numbers are brutal. $80 million in cuts coming up. It's an extra $30 million on top of what we knew about before. Print ads down uh, 16 17% this past quarter. And this is a quarter that saw the federal election. So that is like a bonanza for traditional advertising. We all remember those yellow uh, Conservative Party advertisements that uh, Post Media got so much flack for. Even with that, print ads down 16 17%. None of this is surprising. As I said, it's this is just the news we've been getting from the industry, from post media. This part surprised me, Jen. Digital revenue down 5%. And that's got to be something that is not just a post media problem. That I think should scare anybody in the business, you know, down to their bones. I got to be honest with you, the decline in digital revenue doesn't surprise me. This is what I think a lot of people don't understand about the decline of the newspaper industry, is that it's not that we are losing readers, it's that our business model is what we're losing, and our business model was based on advertising. So one of the things that's happening is that we're now no longer competing with other newspapers and other organizations for advertising dollars. We're competing with Google and Facebook. And I will tell you right now, Google and Facebook can offer advertisers things that right now newspapers cannot. Yeah, we just did an episode on this and just the ad game seems to be a mugs game for newspapers at this point. And I think one of our guests uh, said 70% of the market is now mobile advertising is uh, Facebook and, and Google. So newspapers are fighting it out with each other and, and, and others for the remaining 30. You don't want to kick somebody when they're down and, and continue to go down and down and down. But you know, Bruce Livesy wrote this uh, really big take on post media. The degree to which that this is actually the plan, that this is sort of a controlled burn and that there isn't actually a plan to turn it around, but only to sort of benefit the vulture fund that now has a major interest in post media, which you, you do not need to comment on any of this. But in releasing these atrocious results, Paul Godfrey kind of had to put a, a silver lining on it. And he said, digital marketing and content marketing services are part of our core strategy for the year ahead. You can't say we think that this print thing is going to turn itself around or that the print advertising market is going to correct itself. You can't say that display ads are going to start to perform better. So you got to say something. And I just don't know that there's any reason to believe that there is a core strategy for the year ahead. Very depressing news for you guys. I'm sorry, dude. I'm actually a bit skeptical of that theory. I don't think that the people who are running post media are trying to engage in a slow liquidation strategy. I think that there is a genuine affection and love for the product they create. But I think that everyone in this industry doesn't know how to fix it. Tweets from the Prime Minister's Principal Secretary, Gerald Butts, have surfaced that blatantly contradict the government's current foreign policy that treats Saudi Arabia as an ally and is allowing a Canadian company to sell armored vehicles to the Saudi Kingdom. Okay, you wrote about this. I got into this only to do one thing. And the only thing that I did was after Jay Watts on Twitter and, and actually the Globe and Mail alerted me to the fact that Gerald Butts, uh, basically right-hand man to Trudeau, uh, senior advisor, Prior to being elected, very shortly prior to being elected, he was tweeting about uh, very critical comments about Canada's relationship with Saudi Arabia, questioning whether they should be our, our allies, pointing out their human rights abuses and just lambasting the conservatives for their cozy relationship. And so I just hit retweet on those tweets to bring them up to attention and, and um, 
And Jerry Butts said, well, you know, we, we were clear that we were going to honor this contract to send, Trudeau said, jeeps, these killing machines. The problem is that Jerry Butts' principles and the liberal government's policies are at odds, not their campaign promises. What did you have to say about this, just to refresh us on what you wrote? Because you actually spent some time in that part of the world. Yeah, I was um, in Abu Dhabi for a number of years. My own experience with the Gulf states, the takeaway for me was not so much an examination of their human rights abuses, although they were manifold. It was a, an examination of sort of the economic conditions that underlies a lot of those monarchies and, and, and the way those economic conditions, thanks to low oil prices and demographic shifts, are unsustainable and are likely to collapse or at least have to be reformed in a very serious way in a very short amount of time. The real question in Saudi Arabia and a lot of these monarchies is whether or not they will be able to make the kind of liberal economic reforms required to make their post-oil economies sustainable and thriving, or whether or not the entire place is going to devolve into a giant shit show. If it's the, the pessimistic route, a lot of those light-armored vehicles are very likely to be used by the royal family against their own citizens. So that's that's helpful uh, in understanding this, and it, it helps shed light on this kind of debate or non-debate we've been having. The Globe and Mail editorial that I referred to earlier was critical of, of how the liberals – I mean, it's, it's a very weak way that this deal, which was put together by the conservatives, but is supported by the liberals. And the liberals' position is, is essentially, well, the contracts were in place when we came into power. We're not going to tear them up. They could absolutely tear them up, the Globe was saying. But the Globe added, we don't like the way that you're defending this, but we should stay in this deal. We seem to be having this debate about how the liberals are selling it as opposed to whether it's moral or right or even legal for us to be supplying arms in this way? The thing to keep in mind for the Liberals is that the $15 billion deal is expected to provide something like 3,000 jobs in London, Ontario for 14 years. We can't ignore that benefit. Um, is it guaranteed that Saudi will use these against their own people? No. It's very possible that the economic reforms the Saudis put in place will be successful and that we will see a much more stable House of Saud going into the future. That is a possibility. It's also possible that, that a lot of the arms that Saudi's buying are being used to sort of counter the regional influence of Iran, in which case, I mean, I you know, Iran's not so great either. I, you know, so I mean, it's, it's not, I don't know if the moral case is perfectly clear cut. I'm not sure I agree with you that this is a, like a very nuanced, complicated, you know, uncertain moral question. It almost seems like almost a classic uh, devil's bargain scenario. 3,000 jobs, but here's this tyrannical, despotic nation that we know murders lots of people, including their own. They, we know that about them. It's not even about the speculation about what they might do in the future. They just executed dozens of people. They have human rights abuses. A, a blogger, we reported about uh, the connection between the Griffin Prize and this uh, LAV deal. Griffin got out of that business after our reporting, there's, there doesn't seem to be a lot of ambiguity that these – Trudeau can call them jeeps all that he wants, but yes, they are weapons. Beyond the moral conversation, the legal one, we do have laws against arms sales to despotic nations. So I kind of wonder why there's this hesitation to have kind of like a classic ethical conversation about whether this is something we want to be doing or not. I don't know. I think it's a conversation more between the, the moral conversation and the real politic on the, on the ground. That's where things get gray, for lack of a better term. I mean, are we going to deny Saudi Arabia the right to buy arms? Should we be doing that? Should we be denying the Gulf monarchies as a whole the right to buy arms? Maybe we should be, but what would be the, the outcome? Well, there's a difference between denying somebody the rights to buy arms and selling them arms. No, no, that's right. But, but in being in Canada, being a middle power that we are, we kind of have a bit of a luxury to take those kinds of moral stances in a way that other Western powers like the U.S. don't. So uh, 
you know, it's, it's, it's easy for us to, to make a moral stand here based purely on morals because, I mean, it doesn't really make an impact on the region one way or the other. The only way out is a cynical take, which I think a lot of people have, which is like, yeah, it's bad, but let's not be naive. We do it with other countries. We've been doing it for a long time. The U.S. does it. We might as well get in on the action and get a few thousand jobs here. I guess that makes some sort of sense. The conservative government had promised to build 15 ships for a total of $14 billion. That new report that you referenced said that those 15 ships instead will cost $30 billion, more than double the original budget. Okay, so that's a CBC report based on some CBC reporting by longtime defense reporter James Cudmore. James Cudmore, it was just announced after 10 years of covering defense for the CBC, has left journalism to work for the Department of National Defense. And the story that was uh, just being referred to there, it's a series of stories that James Cudmore reported. And um, I got an uh, email from a listener who asks, since the liberals were elected, James Cudmore has been leaked a series of stories about the $39 billion warship building program. And these stories play right into the liberals' hands. And a lot of the leaked information looks like it was coming from the liberals because, the reader writes, I think the intent was to show they'd inherited a huge pile of shit from the conservatives. The liberals have some tough decisions to make around funding, ship numbers, and capability, and those stories help give them some wiggle room to make unpopular choices. It makes me wonder how long Cudmore has been pursuing this job. Any thoughts, Jen, before we go further here? I I can make two arguments here. One is, yeah, journalists absolutely shouldn't be pursuing jobs with the government because it raises exactly these kinds of questions and they're fair questions to ask. It looks bad. It looks bad on all of us in the profession when one of our people goes off and, and, and you know makes the jump. It compromises all of our integrity or, it, or even the perception of our integrity, even if everything's above board, right? After seeing one of these uh, uh, stories about this particular case, one of the commenters under under the stories, and I don't usually read commenters, but I made an exception, basically said, well, the, the CBC was in bed with the liberals the whole time, so I guess this is just, you know, two and a half, one dozen of the other. And you know what? I can't actually dispute the commenter's perception. It, it's a really problematic conception. But on the other hand... <laughs> You know, kind of coming back to the beginning of this show, this industry is in dramatic decline. Lots of us are going to lose our jobs or are about to lose our jobs. And there aren't a lot of paths outside of journalism where our experience is applicable. One of the paths for us is comms, writing press releases, doing strategic communication. And one of the other paths for us is increasingly government work. It's it's consulting work. I don't see an easy answer here because... We're not all going to starve. You know, we have to find other paths. If, if, if this industry is going to lose another third of its employees, and it probably will, you know, where are we going to go? It's a practical problem that presents ethical questions and, and issues. I asked some of those ethical questions to James Cudmore and just trying to get some clarity on what this process was like. And I, I should be clear here. He was unequivocal. He didn't dodge any of these questions. 
I asked him when he was reporting those stories that were very favorable stories for the liberals, arguably, was he talking with them also about a job? Absolutely not. They came to him. They came to him recently. As soon as they came to him, he left the CBC building. The very next day, he knew it was a conflict. He announced the conflict. There was no quid pro quo where he gave them the stories in exchange for the job, which I actually buy completely. I don't know that they give you a senior policy advisor job in the Department of National Defense in exchange for a few news stories. You know, so so we had this conversation. He was very forthcoming. But he, you know, he also said, you know, it was known around Ottawa that he wanted out of journalism, that he was looking for a change. And, you know, he had written not just these stories, which really, like, this is about billions of dollars that uh, the liberals need to get public support. They might be making some changes around this. And they wanted to be clear that this was a conservative mistake, not theirs. So, uh, you know, Cudmore told me he was aware that his stories had the interest of people in Department of Defense. That story that got shared so much, meet the new badass minister of defense, where you saw that picture of Harjit Sajjan, you know, looking so awesome with the sunglasses. That was with files from James Cudmore. So whether or not James Cudmore is looking for any favors from the Department of National Defense, if you are Harjit Sajjan or anyone in that department, he may be your most favorite journalist. You don't give this kind of opportunity to the journalist who's writing all kinds of shitty negative <laughs> news stories about you. So, you know, benefit of the doubt, good faith. I'm sure this all just happened coincidentally. And yet- it don't look great for the rest of us. And it it's, doesn't look great for the CBC who are facing all this criticism that they, you know, they got $160 million by uh, Trudeau getting elected and the bias is there and they're all the best of buddies. It certainly doesn't help with that perception. Well, and it raises a lot of the, the issues that I think all of us in journalism deal with about, you know, the line between source, contact, connection, friend, network. I mean, how, how long have you been in, in journalism? 16, 17 years, I guess. How many retirement parties have you been to? Well, I've never had a staff job. Uh, so you're asking the wrong guy. I, My I, office... I've had staff jobs for 10 years. I don't think I've ever actually been to a retirement party. Most yeah. people get out of this industry before they age out of it. I'm sure that was not the case 15, 20 years ago, but it has certainly been the case in my career that I don't think I've ever seen anybody retire. I'd have to rack my brain. Most people take buyouts now. They don't retire. Yeah. I see what you're saying. You know, I've, I've got no reason to doubt James Cudmore's integrity. I, you know, I, I'm sure he, everything was good faith here, but this is going to be a problem. When, when you no longer have an industry where we can expect to live in the cocoon of journalism for, you know, the 30, 40, 50 years of our career, it means that there are alternative paths for us that start to hit when, you know, we, we're, we're 30, 40, 50. And, you know, what are the ethical questions and the ethical guidelines around the shifting out of a journalism career into an associated field. I don't think that we've had a lot of time to work those out and, and to try and find ways to make these things more transparent, because we're just starting to enter into that era now when journalism is kind of a, a temporary field where it's not a lifelong career anymore. It's funny, the two paths that you point out earlier, they are interchangeably referred to as the dark side, whether you go work for advertising and its various manifestations or, P, you know, be they PR, marketing, they're all advertising. Uh, or if you go work for government <laughs> within the business, we say you've gone to the dark side. I have to point out the, the ethical issues that you've raised here are completely uh, like correct. Yes, it is obviously an ethical problem that this is happening, but it's also just an economic reality. It's not even about money anymore. Why people are leaving, or even layoffs, even so much. It's it's you know the job itself, the career itself is is not as rewarding as it used to be for a lot of people. And when they find that out, they look around and they're like, well, you know, do I want to be sitting in an office desk churning out 
15 things for cbc.ca about defense policy, or do I just want to be part of the team that's creating that defense policy? Well, you know, if you're, if you're an intellectually engaged adult, the latter option is more compelling. That's an interesting statement there, Jen. I would think that the more compelling reason is that there's, it's very unlikely there's going to be a journalism ministry as we know it in 20 or even 10 years. The idea that writing policy or working in politics is somehow more intellectually rewarding than investigating news stories and serving the public in that way is uh, – I don't know about that. How many, how many of us are even investigating news stories anymore, Jesse? Yeah. Well, how many of us ever were? And maybe that's part of the problem. How much of, how much of journalism now is, is doing – really, really interesting, important investigative work and how much of it is content churning. If we got to go out, if it's if it's all, I don't know if it's going out. I don't think it's going out. I think there will be some, I think that, like you said, there's going to be no change in our audience. Our audience, if anything, has grown. People are just as curious for the news as they ever were. I think that there are going to be people doing this work. My hope is that that's the only kind of work that's the kind of work that has value, not just investigations, but all of those – the jobs of rewriting press releases or just rewriting other news agencies' stories. Maybe it's OK if those jobs go. But what I want to know is why organizations, perhaps including Post Media or anybody who's facing these dire projections right now, why we don't see a return to kind of core principles of like let's present the most value for news readers as possible and see if we can sell that. I have no idea. Um, I, you know, and I, I hope you're not. I hope people aren't reading too much into uh, what I'm saying here. I'm personally uh, very happy with what I do. It's great, but you know, it would be naive of me to ignore the fact that, especially what I see in, in more regional papers, is a moving away from value-added news content that involves interesting, in-depth, challenging work. And increasingly, it's content churn, content churn, content churn. I want to talk about this. We're, we're, we're digressing into an interesting area for me because I think that that has been a like 30-year process where we've gone away from core principles and we've gone into content churn, aggregation. It's not the internet that did that to us. We did that to ourselves. The jobs got more and more boring and that – that's the advantage of what's happening now. Like, why waste this crisis? Let's get rid of that shit and figure out what actually matters to people. Because the budgets aren't there is the answer. To get into journalism now, I mean, we look at who goes into the internships now. They're like master's degrees at Oxford, you know, getting, you know, basic level internships that pay $40,000 a year if you're lucky, you know, in some of these newspapers. And you know, what is the actual work that they get to do after 10 years in the industry? It's, it's a lot of it gets boring really quickly. And no, I, I hear you. If you're going to starve and struggle and do boring work, at least be like towards the dream of being like, I don't know, a star on Broadway. But if, <laughs> if, if you are a really well-intentioned, really, really intelligent, really, really hardworking person. And if you're still in journalism right now, you are, you, there's no question. I have not met a single journalist who isn't frankly, incredibly smart, incredibly hardworking, incredibly diligent, who has all the skill sets required to succeed in any field they want. I mean, the industry is contracted so rapidly and so viciously that people who are left are all good, almost without exception. And, you know, if you have the skill sets, if you have that brain, if you have that background, and you're turning around weather stories and crap for your job, or you're turning around endless low-level press release stuff on your website, 
the dream dies pretty quick. Yeah, but that doesn't describe Andrew Potter, editor-in-chief of the Ottawa Citizen, or James Cudmore, who's breaking big stories with leaks from the Department of Defense. I mean, these are senior, established journalists who are doing interesting work, and and they just want to get out of the field. They want to get to a field that has a future. Maybe it does, and maybe it doesn't. I mean, I don't know what James Cudmore's life was like every day. He obviously wanted to leave for some reason, and, and that's, I mean, I think that's his business. There are a lot of reasons why people choose to leave journalism. It's hard when you when you witness budgets for interesting, cool work get cut to the point where, you know, even if you do do a really, really great job in journalism for 20 years, you know you're never going to get those types of opportunities that the people 20 years before you had. What's your exit strategy, Jen? I don't have one. Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in this. <laughs> Jen Gerson, that is your Scandaland Shortcuts. Thank you for being here. I promise to yell at you more next time. It'll be much more bright. You can email me. Always, I read them all. I respond when I can. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. We're on Twitter, at Canadaland. Jen, where can people find you? Mostly on Twitter. Jen Gerson. Just Jen Gerson. Why not? <laughs> the website is canadalandshow.com, where you can sign up for Not Sorry, our very funny weekly newsletter. The crowdfunding site is at patreon.com slash canadaland. The next episode of Canadaland will be up on Monday. The next episode of Canadaland Commons will be up on Tuesday. The producer of this show is Kevin Sexton. Welcome aboard, Kevin. If you like this show, please support it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.